ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides There is no one that can lead Him astray And whoever Allah leads astray There is no one that can guide Him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped Except Allah alone And that He has no partners And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Is His slave servant and His messenger I'd like to begin uh, this evening as we continue in the explanation, the Sharh Taysir Al-Alam, the Sharh Umdas Al-Ahkam, by quickly reviewing the hadith which we took last week from Bab Al-Witr, Salat Al-Witr, and then taking, uh, beginning the discussion with Salat uh, Al-Musafir or the prayer of the traveler first discussing Al-Jam or combining two prayers and inshallah in the coming lecture Al-Qasr or shortening the prayers last week we mentioned uh, under the chapter of Al-Witr hadith number 121 the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma said that a man asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam while he was in the minbar, yani giving the khutbah, he said, what about the salat al-layl? Or explain to me, yani how is the performance of salat al-layl? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, mathna, mathna, fa'idha khashiya ahadukum al-subh, salla wahidatan, fa'utarat lahu ma salla. He said that that prayer should be in pairs, two, two by two. And if anyone fears that the approach of dawn, dawn has come, then they should pray one rakah as witr. Yani pray one rakah and that will be the witr or making of the previous rakah which they have prayed will make it as an odd number. Uh, and also... It is reported in this narration uh, about Abdul ibn Umar أَنَّهُ كَانَ يَقُولُ اجعلوا آخر صلاتكم بالليل وطرًا To make the last of your prayers in the night an odd number or witr. Uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned a number of points. And amongst them, uh, the fact that the night prayer should be performed in twos, pairs of twos, يعني, not including the witr, the night prayer itself should be in pairs. Secondly, that witr should be the last or the end of the prayers that you pray at the night, uh, should be the last prayer at the end of the night for the one who has confidence or expectation that they would be able to wake up later in the night. If they didn't pray the witr in the beginning of the night after Isha and they had confidence that they would wake up then it's better to delay it 
uh, until the last part of the night. And also from this hadith we understand that the time for the witter prayer ends with the breaking of dawn. And also from this hadith that it is preferable that the witter prayer should be after an uh, uh, even number of prayers. After praying two by two by two, then the witter should be performed after that. To perform pairs of two before the witter is sunnah. But even if someone performed the witter prayer without praying any even number of prayers before it, then it is permissible. As has been mentioned in the hadith of Abu Ayyub, Abu Ayyub radiallahu anhu, uh, يعني that whoever wills may make witter as one prayer. Also, uh, in this hadith we understand or we see how the Prophet ﷺ answered the person who asked the question. He answered that question in front of all the people so that the benefit would be general for everyone. Not just for the questioner, but for all those who were present. Uh, also from this hadith we understand that it is commendable, preferable, or mustahab to perform the witter prayer. While some said that it is wajib or obligatory. But the most correct opinion, insha'Allah, is that it's mustahab, not wajib. But it is of the best of those prayers which are voluntary uh, due to, as the Shaykh said, the number of hadith uh, which report it and the order of the Prophet ﷺ to perform it and the mention of his virtues and that the Prophet ﷺ always used to pray the witha prayer whether he was resident or whether he was Traveling. The second hadith, hadith number 122, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, qadat min kulli al-layl qad awthara rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam min awwali al-layl wa awsatihi wa akhirihi fantaha wutruhu ila al-sahab. That the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray the witha prayer every night. Sometimes in the beginning of the night, sometimes in the middle of the night, and sometimes at the end of the night, and he would end his witr at the time of sahar, that is, the time just before the break of dawn. He would end his witr just before the break of dawn. From this hadith, the shaykh mentioned two rulings. The first of them, the permissibility of performing salat al-witr in the beginning of the night, or performing it in the middle of the night, or in the end of the night, because all of these times, from the beginning of the night after Salat al-Fajr until the end of the night at the break of dawn, all of this is the time for Salat al-Witr. There are some handouts there, some I can take them. Also he mentioned <coughs> that from this hadith of Aisha also we understand that it is preferable that Witr be delayed until the end of the night. That is for the one who is confident that they would wake up in the night. As for the one who feels that they would not wake up or knows that they don't normally wake up, then it is preferable, uh, excuse me one, then in that case it is preferable to, uh, to perform it in the early part of the night, from last week. Uh, and the last hadith that we mentioned, hadith number 123, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم 
Aisha radiallahu anha said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa used to pray in the night 13 raka'ah and he used to make five of them, the last five of them as his witr and he didn't used to sit in any of those five raka'ah witr except in the last of them, in the end of it and he used to sit for tashahud in the last of the five raka'ah of witr from the 13 raka'ah that he prayed in the night from this hadith, the Shaykh mentions also a number of points from amongst them that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on occasion did perform the night prayer as 13 raka'ah not including the two raka'ah of hajjah yani that he prayed the night prayer as 13 raka'ah and that is not in consideration of the two raka'ah of hajjah or the sunnahs of hajjah and also that sometimes he used to make the witr of his prayer as five raka'ah not sitting for tashahud in any of those five raka'ah witr except the last of them and in the fifth raka'ah of the witr uh, and the meaning in this hadith of uh, or the meaning of the prayer, the night prayer being performed in pairs of two it is understood that it means here that which is before the witr and the night prayer should be performed in pairs not including the witr the witr can be performed as one raka or three raka or five raka and an odd number sometimes the Prophet ﷺ prayed with seven raka and he didn't sit except in the last of it uh, and sometimes he prayed with five raka and didn't sit except in the last of them and sometimes he also prayed with seven raka or nine raka making Tashahud or sitting for tashahud in the eighth rakah uh, and then standing up without making taslim for the ninth rakah and sitting again for tashahud. Yeah, and he sometimes he made it as nine rakah, making the sitting in the next to the last rakah as well as in the last rakah. Yeah, and he's sitting for tashahud in the eighth rakah and the ninth rakah. Uh, then he mentions the Shaykh al-Sam ibn Taymiyyah said that the best of the prayers after the obligatory prayers is the standing in the night. And the most important of those of the night prayer is the witr prayer and the two rakah sunnah of fajr. And the witr prayer and the two rakah sunnah of fajr, which the Prophet always used to perform these sunnah prayers, the witr and two rakah sunnah of fajr, even if he was traveling. While the other sunnahs, he used to abandon them as a traveler. Uh, then he mentioned that there are a number of ways that the witr prayer can be performed and we said that it can be performed as one rakah or three rakah, five rakah and so on uh, tonight we'd like to discuss a new chapter the chapter of Salat uh, al-Musafir or the prayer of the traveler specifically the prayer of the traveler should be discussed in two parts as uh, the author has done in Umdat al-Ahkam he has made a chapter uh, a separate hadith for the chapter concerning the prayer of the traveler concerning the point of combining al-jam and the point of shortening qasr combining two prayers while traveling and shortening the prayers are two separate issues they are two separate issues combining the prayers one thing and shortening the prayers is another thing and we will discuss them separately just keep this in mind because many people confuse 
the, these two issues for the traveler and they think that combining and shortening are equal that whenever you are a traveler you may combine and shorten but in fact uh, there is a different ruling for each of them shortening the prayers has its own ruling and guidelines while combining the prayers has another ruling and separate guidelines here the shaykh begins Bab al-Jamma bayn al-Salatayn fi safa combining two prayers during a journey since traveling is a cause for difficulty or a reason uh, of difficulty the legislator that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who revealed the sharia has given permission or some yani, facilities or ease in the matters of worship for the person who is traveling to make it easy and as a mercy for the believers since there is difficulty in traveling then Allah has reduced the responsibility and given some facility to make it easy for us to perform our worship while we are a traveler from amongst those special permissions is the permissibility for the traveler to combine two prayers together uh, particularly the person who the time of the prayer comes while they are on the road traveling then the course of traveling and the time for the prayer comes then there is an ease in being able to stop for the prayer and perform two prayers at the same time and combining for example the Zohar and Asr prayer or later in the night stopping to, to combine the Maghrib and Isha prayer uh, for this reason it is permissible to combine two of these prayers the Zohar and Asr in either of their time yeah, and combining Zohar and Asr at the time of Zohar making Asr early or combining them at the time of Asr making Zohar later yeah, traveling during the time of Zohar and not stopping until during the time of Asr you may stop and perform Zohar and Asr together in the later time in either of the times is permissible and, and likewise the Maghrib and Isha you may combine them either in the earlier time of Maghrib praying Isha early or in the later time of Isha praying Maghrib late all of this shows the lofty nature of the Islamic Sharia and the ease and the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that he doesn't make in the deen of Islam any difficulty or hardship the first hadith is the hadith concerning combining prayers hadith number 128 from the book Umdat al-Ahkam the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhumah qal Abdullah ibn Abbas may Allah be pleased with him his father said kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yajma'u bayna salat al-zuhri wal-asri idha kana ala zahri al-sayyid وَيَجْمَعُوا بَيْنَ الْمَغْرِبِ وَالْعِشَاءِ That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to combine the Dhuha and Asr prayers together while he was in the court إِذَا كَانَ عَلَى ظَهْرِ السَّيِّرِ If he was in the course of traveling while he was traveling and he also used to combine the Maghrib and Isha prayers and in the same way if he was in the course of traveling this hadith is reported 
in this, by this wording by Al-Bukhari. And similar wording, yani, or similar meaning has also been reported by Imam Muslim, but not with the exact same wording as mentioned here. In any case, the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith, that it was the habit of the Prophet wasallam whenever he was traveling, when he was actually in the course of traveling, he was on the road that he used to combine the Ruh and Asr, either in the earlier time or in the later time. And he used to combine the Maghrib and Isha, either Taqdeeman in the earlier time or Ta'akhiran in the later time. And both of these are permissible, Taqdeem or Ta'akhir, advancing one of the prayers to the earlier time or delaying one of the prayers to the later one that comes after it. And he used to consider uh, what was easier and more convenient. And this would be the determining factor to decide whether or not he would pray the Asr in the earlier time with Zohar or delay the Zohar to the later time with Asr. According to your convenience, while you are traveling, if it's more convenient to stop at the time of Zohar and join Asr with it, you may do so. If it's more convenient to keep traveling until the time of Asr and join the Zohar with the Asr in the later time, whatever is easier and more convenient. And he also used to consider those who are with him. And if there were others traveling with him, he used to consider uh, trying to make it uh, an ease and a facility for whoever was traveling with him. And that would be the determining factor. Otherwise, advancing or delaying both of them are permissible, according to the most correct opinion. Uh, and his, the fact that he was traveling, this was the reason. It was the sabab or the cause or the reason for him combining these prayers, two of the prayers. One, any, any one of them in the time of the other. And in this way, the prayer of either the time of the, of the, either one of those prayers, it became the time for both of them. And if he stopped in the earlier time, then that time became the time for both prayers. The one that was due and the one that was after. And if he stopped in the later time, that later time actually became the real time for both of those prayers. The one that was uh, delayed and the one that was prayed in his time. And if there's no defect or shortcoming in the prayer, for the traveler, the time for both of those prayers is the time in which you stop, whether in the earlier time or in the later time. There's difference of opinion concerning uh, the permissibility of joining prayers. There's difference of opinion concerning the permissibility of joining prayers. The first opinion concerning combining the prayers is the opinion of a large number of Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een and tabi'een rahimahumullah the Shaykh Abdullah Ibn Abdurrahman Ali Bassam doesn't mention the names of those Sahaba and tabi'een but Al-Imam Ibn Jaqiq Al-Eid in his Sharh of Umbat Al-Ahkam mentions that this first opinion the opinion that is permissible to combine the prayers and that that permissibility is for advancing as well as delaying and that they can be prayed either in the earlier time or in the later time he said that that opinion is the opinion of a group from amongst the Sahaba including Ali ibn Abi Talib Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas Sa'id ibn Zayd Usama and these first three Ali and Sa'ad and Sa'id are three of the ten people who promised paradise as well, Osama ibn Zayd, 
رضي الله عنهما may Allah be pleased with him and his father Mu'adh ibn Jabal Abu Musa al-Ashari Abdullah ibn Umar and Abdullah ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما اجمعين all of these companions were in agreement with this first opinion that it's permissible to join the prayers and that permissibility is applicable both to advancing them to the earlier time or the later time this is the first opinion from amongst the tabi'een who held this opinion also the students of Sahaba he mentions Alfa ibn Abi Rabah Fawus Mujahid, Ikrima, Jabir ibn Zayd, Rabia, and from amongst the Imam of the Madahib of Fiqh, he mentions Sufyan al-Thawri, al-Shafi'i, Ishaq ibn Rahuway, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, Abu Thawr, and ibn Munzir, rahimahumullah. Uh, this is the first opinion. I just wanted to read those names so that it would become more clear who are these who, who is this large group of Sahaba and Tabi'een who held this first opinion and the first opinion is that it's permissible to combine the prayers either advancing or delaying them they used as their proof uh, the hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas hadith that we have mentioned here now as well as other hadith, including the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, uh, which we also mentioned here, one of the narrations of Abdullah ibn Umar, the nar- which is narrated Salam's father. Salam is the son of Abdullah ibn Umar. So that hadith narrated Salam's father, it means it is the hadith from Abdullah, who is the father of Salam, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhu. But the Prophet used to offer the Maghrib and Isha prayers together whenever he was in a hurry, on a journey إِذَا جَدَّ بِهِ السَّيِّرِ when he was actually in the course of traveling and they also mentioned the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu and that hadith is also mentioned here as an extra hadith and it is an important hadith and one of the important proofs of those who said that it's permissible to combine the prayers either in the advance as well as in the delayed time because some of the scholars said it's permissible to combine them but only in the delayed time and, and, one of, and a third opinion is that it's not permissible to join the prayers in reality but the third opinion is to pray one of those prayers in the last time at the end of its period and the one that's following it in the beginning of its period in any case they mention the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam إِذَا إِرْتَحَلْ قَبْلَ أَن تَزِيغَ الشَّمْسِ whenever he used to begin his journey before the sun had begun to decline يعني before the time of Zuhr if he began his journey أخر صلاة الظهر حتى يجمعها حتى يجمعها إلى العصر then he would in that case if he started traveling and the sun had not begun to decline the time of Zuhr did not begin yet then he would delay the Zuhr prayer until the time of Asr and join it with Asr prayer يصلي يصليهما جميعا يعني he would combine them and join them pray them together وَإِذَا أَرْتَحَلْ بَعْدَ ذَيْغِ الشَّمْسِ صَلَّ الظُّهْرِ وَالْعَصْرِ جَمِيًا ثُمَّ سَارَ But whenever he used to begin the travel, after the sun had begun to decline, and the time of Zohar had began, then he would pray the Zohar and Asr together. And he would combine them together, praying the Asr in the earlier time of Zohar. And then he would uh, get on the road. وَكَانَ إِذَا أَرْتَحَلَ قَبْلَ الْمَغْرِبِ أَخْرَ الْمَغْرِبِ حَتَّى يُصَلِّي and whenever he used to get get ready to travel before the sun had set and if he started to travel and the sun had not yet set 
then he would start traveling and he would delay the Maghrib prayer until the time of Isha and then he would join it and, and, and he would pray it with the Isha prayer in the time of Isha. وَإِذَا يَرْتَحَلَ بَعْدَ الْمَغْرِبِ يُعَجِّلَ الْإِشَاءِ فَصَلَّاهَا مَعَ الْمَغْرِبِ But if he used to begin his traveling after the sun had already set and the time of Maghrib was in, then he would يعني, advance the Isha prayer يعني, and pray it along with Maghrib in the earlier time. In the earlier time. This hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmed in his Musnad and it's also reported by the two Imams Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi in their Sunan. And that hadith and a similar narration in the Sunan Abu Dawood, two narrations from Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu have been declared to be Sahih by Shaykh al-Albani and his Sahih Sunan Abu Dawood. Here the Shaykh says that some of the scholars have declared this hadith to be Sahih. And some of the earlier scholars declared it to be Sahih and some of them questioned its authenticity. They said that there is some doubt about its authenticity. Uh, and the, yani, the general meaning of that hadith has been reported in the Sahih of Muslim but without mentioning Taqdeem, without mentioning the prayers being performed in their earlier time. But the combining of them, Zohar and Asr or Maghrib and Isha combining them, similarly has been mentioned in the Sahih of Muslim but it has not been mentioned yani, the point of advancing those prayers, praying the after in the time of Zohar or, or the Isha in the time of Maghrib. That hasn't been mentioned in the narration of Sahih Muslim, but in any case, um, that hadith or some of the narrations of the hadith of Mu'ayyad ibn Jabal has indeed been declared to be Sahih. And therefore, we accept it as a proof of the permissibility not only of praying the prayers in the later time, but also praying, combining them in the earlier time of Zuhur or in the earlier time of Maghrib as is the opinion of the majority or a large number of Sahaba and Tabi'een and of the Imams uh, Al-Shafi and Ahmed Rahimahumullah The second opinion is the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa Rahimahullah and his two students Muhammad and Abu Yusuf Rahimahumullah and it is also the opinion of Al-Hassan Al-Basri and Ibrahim Al-Nakhai Rahimahumullah that it is not permissible to join the prayers and it is not permissible to join two prayers together this is the second opinion it's the opposite of the first opinion which allows combining in every condition advancing or delaying and their opinion is that it's not allowed to combine the prayers at all not in the advanced time nor in delayed time and they reinterpret or explain they make ta'wil of the hadith of combining saying that the combining that's mentioned in this hadith is only the appearance of combining it's not really combining two prayers in the time of one but they said it only is jam suri yani it has a surah or image or, sh- or shape or an appearance of being of combining while in fact it's not combining that's their opinion and they said how is it so they said that one may delay the zuhur prayer to the end of the time of zuhur prayer just before the time of asr comes in while Zohar is still in its last many moments and pray Zohar in that time so actually you pray Zohar in the time of Zohar and then immediately after you pray Zohar the time for Asr came in so then you pray Asr in the beginning of its time so it looks like you are combining but in fact you are praying each of them one in the end of its time and one in the beginning of its time this is their interpretation of the hadith concerning combining the prayers though there are some hadith which make it clear that the Prophet actually prayed 
For example, he actually prayed the time, the, uh, the after prayer, while, while the sun had just declined. Yeah, and in the beginning of the time of Zuhur. So it's clear that this uh, explanation of it is, is not acceptable here. If the after prayer was prayed just as the sun began to decline, yeah, at the beginning of the time of Zuhur, then it's clear that it was really combining and not only the appearance of combining. And also the Maghrib prayer is mentioned specifically in some hadith that the Prophet ﷺ prayed the Maghrib prayer after the redness had disappeared from the sky. The time when the redness disappears from the sky is the beginning of the time of Isha. When the redness disappears from the sky. After the sunset and the redness disappears from the sky, it's time for Isha. And the Prophet ﷺ combined the Maghrib and Isha in that time, meaning that he definitely prayed the Maghrib prayer in the time of Isha, which is real combining and not just the appearance of combining. Uh, here, the Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman al-Bissam, Hafidhullah says that Al-Khutabi and Ibn Abdul Bar, Rahimahumullah, uh, mentions that combining the prayers is a rukhsa a rukhsa that means it is something that is allowed it's allowed not necessarily mandatory but it is an allowance and a permission a permission for facility or ease uh, then they said that if anyone does what has been mentioned by the Hanafi madhab that is praying one of the prayers in the, in the end of its time and the second prayer in the beginning of its time, this is something, its time is very, very narrow and very difficult for anyone to achieve. Even those who, yeah, I mean the scholars who may know how to determine exactly when will be the end of the time of the one prayer and the beginning of the next prayer, even those people may find difficulty in doing so. What about the common people? How can the people really do so to know exactly when, uh, when to pray this prayer in the end of one time and to start the next one in the beginning of the next time? Uh, this is the second opinion in any case that any of the combining of prayers is the appearance of combining but not really combining the prayers uh, any in one of the two times the third opinion is the opinion of Imam Ibn Hazm Rahimahullah of the Zahiri Madhab and it is also a narration from Imam Malik Rahimahullah and it is one of the reports from the Madhab Imam Malik that it is permissible to combine the prayers, but only in the delayed time, ta'akhir, not in the advanced time, taqdeem. And it is the opinion of Ibn Hazm, and it has also been reported in one of the two uh, narrations of the reports from Imam Malik, that the permissibility for combining the prayers is only to combine them in the later time. For example, to delay the Zohar prayer until the time of Asr and combine them in the time of Asr or to delay the Maghrib prayer until the time for Isha comes in and to pray it along with Isha in the later time but not in the advanced time and this is based on some hadith which mention the Prophet ﷺ combining the prayers in the later time and those hadith, some of the hadith didn't mention advancing it to the earlier time as did as it was mentioned in the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu for that reason they uh, understood that Delaying the earlier prayer to the time of the later prayer and combining the later time is permissible, but not advancing the later prayer to the time of the earlier prayer. 
What's the third opinion, Yani, that combining the prayers is allowed in reality, but only uh, delaying, not advancing the prayers? And they responded to those who said that takdim or advancing the prayers to the earlier time and combining them, they, they argued against them saying that the hadith, which they used as a proof of, of combining the prayers in the earlier time, the hadith of Muadh ibn Jabal, they said that some of the scholars said that this hadith is questionable, that it's not authentic. So this is their refutation of those who said that the prayers may be combined even in the earlier or later time. Okay, so these are the three opinions. One opinion is that the combining of the prayers, and this is the majority opinion, the combining of the prayers is allowed either advancing or delaying. The second opinion is that combining of the prayers is not allowed at all. But it, it's only the appearance of combining the prayers. Praying one in its last minute and the other one in the beginning of its time. And the third opinion is uh, that it's allowed to combine the prayers but only in the later time. Only in the delayed time. There's also a difference of opinion of the scholars here concerning the cause for combining the prayers. Yani, what is the reason why combining the prayers is allowed? The first opinion is the opinion of the majority of scholars and it's the opinion of Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam Ahmed that traveling, the fact that someone is a traveler is a cause for combining the prayers both in the advanced time or in the delayed time and this is the second narration from Imam Malik yani the other opinion of Imam Malik is that if a person is a traveler it is allowed for them to combine the prayers in the advanced or delayed time as opposed to yani the narration uh, from Imam Malik that's in agreement with Ibn Hazm that the combining the prayers is only in the delayed time the second narration of Imam Malik is in agreement with the majority that it's also allowed to combine the prayers in the earlier time this is the first opinion uh, concerning the cause for combining the prayers but the cause for combining the prayers is traveling the second opinion uh, and which is the more famous opinion of Imam Malik is that the cause for combining the prayers is only if there is a need for it yeah, I that the cause whenever there is a need whether traveling or otherwise when there is a need when a person has some difficulty and they have a need to combine the prayers <coughs> uh, then that is the cause for combining the prayers. If a person is traveling and there is no need to combine the prayers, there is no inconvenience or difficulty for them, then Imam Malik's opinion is that if there is no need, then you shouldn't combine the prayers. Only for need. For example, the person who is actually in the course of traveling, as mentioned in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas, that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he was in the course of traveling, he used to combine the Zohar and Asa or the Mother and Isha. So Imam Malik says that uh, the fact that he was in the course of travel was the real reason, not that he was simply a traveler, but that while he was traveling uh, then there was a need to combine the prayers due to the fact that he was on the road and therefore the opinion of Imam Malik, the most uh, yeah, I mean, well-known opinion of Imam Malik is that the reason for combining the prayers is for there being a need, not simply being a traveler, but when the traveling person has a need to combine the prayers. And this is also the chosen opinion of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah and his student ibn Qayyim uh, and other scholars that uh, if there is a need the need to combine the prayers is the real cause not that the person is simply a traveler one of the Maliki scholars Al-Baji said that Imam Malik disliked combining the prayers and he making an open 
or permission to combine the prayers unless there was a need. He disliked that because perhaps he felt that some people who had no real need to combine the prayers, they would combine them just because they are traveler when he felt that it was preferable to pray the prayers in their time if there is no need to combine them. <coughs> the third opinion is the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, whose opinion is that it's not permissible to combine the prayers that uh, the reason for combining the prayers is not traveling because his opinion is that really it's not allowed to combine the pairs, prayers but he makes an exception for combining the prayers there's one case in which it's allowed to combine the prayers and it's not due to traveling but it's due to the person being on Arafat or Muzdalifa and in the opinion of Abu Hanifa is that the cause for, for the allowance of combining prayers is the person who's performing the rites of Hajj and they're on Arafat then they're allowed to combine the prayers and they may combine Dhuha and Asr and Arafat and if they are Muzdalifa, they may combine the Maghrib and Isha prayers. So Imam Abu Hanifa, his opinion is that the cause for combining the prayers is not traveling. But it is the fact that the person who is performing the rites of Hajj, when they are in Arafat, they have a need to combine the prayers in order to stand in Arafat and supplicate to Allah and ask for Allah's forgiveness and pray to Allah until sunset. So he said in that case it's allowed to combine the prayers due to being an Arafat, not due to being a traveler. And even some of the scholars argue who hold this opinion that even those who live in Mecca and they are not considered to be a traveler, they are not considered to be a traveler when they perform Hajj. Mecca is just uh, in a short distance from Mecca to Arafat and Muzdalifa, but yet they are also allowed to combine their prayers. So they argued that being a traveler was not the real cause, but the real cause was performing the rites of Hajj. But of course there are other evidences which show clearly that traveling is a cause for combining the prayers. Though being an Arafat or Muzdalifah is also a cause. It's also a cause, but it's not the only cause. So the first opinion is that the cause for travel, uh, combining the prayers is being a traveler. The second opinion is that only when there's a need, even if you're a traveler, it's not an open uh, permission, but only when there's a need to combine. And the third opinion is the opinion of Abu Hanifa uh, and, many, and a number of other scholars who held that the cause <coughs> for combining the prayers was the rites of Hajj not simply being a traveler. And this opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa is also agreed by Al-Hasan al-Basri and Muhammad ibn Sirin from amongst the Tabi'een al-Makhul and Ibrahim al-Nakhai rahimahumullah. May Allah have mercy on all of them. <coughs> Concerning the evidences of the Jumhur or the majority of scholars that combining the prayers is an absolute prohibition. Uh, not only for the one who is in the course of traveling, uh, not only while the person is actually on the road, but anyone who is a traveler, even if they stop somewhere to rest, it's allowed for them to combine the prayers. Their, uh, their evidence for such is that which has been reported in the Muwatta of Imam Malik from Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu that the Prophet وسلم, delayed the prayer uh, during yani one day during the battle of Tabuk he delayed the prayer and he came out of his tent and in the place that he was 
settled in for that time during that during the battle of Tabuk or during the journey of the battle of Tabuk he came out and he prayed the Goha and Asa prayer combining them then he re-entered his tent and he came back out a little later and he prayed the Maghrib and Isha prayer combining them this is a proof for them that the Prophet ﷺ combined the prayers even though he was not actually in the course of traveling but he had stopped someplace even if it was only for a day but on that occasion he had stopped and he was settled and he was in a tent and he came out and combined the Lord and after and went back in and came out later and combined the Maghrib and Isha uh, Ibn Abdul Bar the explainer of the Muwatta of Imam Malik says that this hadith has an authentic isnad. Likewise, Al-Imam Al-Shafi'i Rahimahullah in his book Al-Um and other scholars including Ibn Abdul Barr and Al-Baji mentioned that the entering and exiting of the Prophet is a proof the fact that he went in and came out and that he came out and went in and came out again this is a proof that the Prophet ﷺ was not in the course of traveling though he was a traveler, he was going to the battle of Tabuk but he wasn't in the course of traveling he had stopped at some place and settled for some time even if for a short period of time but he stopped and settled and this is a refutation against those who said that the Prophet ﷺ never combined the prayers except while he was in the course of traveling which is what is understood from the hadith of Abdul ibn Abbas that he used to combine the prayers while he was in the course of traveling but if he stopped anywhere for a day or two or some hours then he didn't this is what you may understand from that that he didn't combine the prayers but they said no uh, even if he stopped somewhere that it, there is some reports that he did combine the prayers يعني, uh, while he was in during the course of his journey if he stopped anywhere the opinion or the evidence of Imam Malik and Shaykh Islam and Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim يعني, that combining the prayers is only where there is a need not simply due to the fact of being a traveler their proof is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma uh, and also the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas from which we mention here the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas that the Prophet sallallahu used to combine the Dhu and Asr of the Muslim Isha when he was in the course of traveling and there is a similar hadith from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma kana idha jadda bihi sayr jama'a bain al-Maghur al-Isha and that Abdullah ibn Umar said that whenever or it was said that Abdullah ibn Umar whenever he was in the course of traveling he would combine the Maghrib and Isha and he said explaining why he did that he said in the Nabi sallallahu he explained that the reason Abdullah ibn Umar said the reason why he did that because he said whenever the Prophet sallallahu was in the course of traveling he used to combine them the Maghrib and Isha prayer so Abdullah ibn Umar was doing likewise so they said that if the person is in the course of traveling then there is a need for combining the prayers in that case they may combine them otherwise if there is no need even those who are travelers should not combine the prayers but uh, since there are other narrations as a, uh, such as the narration of Mu'adh ibn Jabal which indicate the fact that the Prophet ﷺ or the hadith mentioned here uh, that indicate that the Prophet ﷺ, even when he stopped while he was traveling from one place to another even when he stopped that he still on occasion uh, combined the prayers as in the Ghazwat Tabuk or the Battle of Tabuk then this is the additional information 
above and beyond the information that came in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas or the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar and that, and that information, if it's narrated by authentic reporters, we said that we should accept it Ziyadah as siqa maqbula we said that the extra information that comes from a reliable reporter it is accepted, it is acceptable, and it is a proof so this information should be accepted as long as it came with an authentic isnad and therefore no doubt the Prophet ﷺ used to combine the prayers when he was in the course of traveling but even if he stopped somewhere the hadith of Mu'adh and Jabal proved that even if he stopped somewhere that he would still uh, sometimes combine the prayers and here the Shaykh said that the difficulty that one finds in traveling is not only while you're on the road but even when you stop when you're in another land traveling across the land there's difficulty because you are not enjoying the conveniences that you normally enjoy when you're at home and therefore that difficulty uh, the ease that combining the prayers gives to the one who's traveling uh, is, is, is also it's also a permission for the one who is a traveler and stops anywhere there's some facility or ease that they enjoy in being able to continue combining the prayers until they return to their home to the place where they traveled from As for the opinion of uh, Tani, the, the opinion of the third opinion that uh, combining the prayers is only allowed at Arafah and Muzdalifah and for those who are performing the rites of Hajj this opinion and it is rejected not because there is no evidence for it there is evidence indicating the combining the prayers in Muzdalifah and Arafah but it doesn't limit the permission of combining to that occasion but there are other evidences which show that there are other reasons or causes for the combining of prayers and from amongst them is traveling okay this is the end of yani, the main discussion that the Shaykh gives here uh, but then he mentions some other points of benefit the first of them and there are a lot of issues really related to the traveling, uh, the prayer of the traveler particularly to combining and shortening and tonight we're just talking about combining the prayers but some of them, the Shaykh mentions here some of those points only the first of them uh, is that the author of Umdas al-Ahkam only mentions one hadith under the chapter of combining prayers for a traveler and that hadith indicates that the reason for combining prayers is traveling but actually, in fact, there are other reasons someone to combine the prayers is rain. And it has been reported by Al-Bukhari that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam jama'a bain al-Maghrib al-Isha fi laylatin mutira. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa combined the Maghrib al-Isha prayers in a night when it was raining. And it was raining in that night and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa combined the prayers. So another cause for combining the prayers, not only when you're traveling, but even if you're a resident and it's raining, and there's very heavy rain uh, the hardship that it causes the people to go out and go home and go out again yani the Prophet ﷺ legislated in this occasion that the person that they may combine the prayers and pray the Aisha with the Maghrib prayer so that the people don't have to come out into the rain again although this Sunnah has been lost for the Muslims today and we don't find any of the Imams joining the Aisha with the Maghrib prayer even though on some occasions it's very very rainy and it's very difficult and it's a hardship to go to the masjid sometimes due to floods sometimes during getting soaking wet due to the heavy rain 
But yet we find that they pray only Maghrib and they make you come back out again for Isha. And the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu is to combine them. And we wish that some of the Imams would do so to give us the benefit of the, uh, the facility and the ease and the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that He gave to us in the Sharia. Uh, here in this hadith the Shaykh says that he only mentioned the combining of Maghrib and Isha prayer without mentioning the Ruhr and Asr prayer. And this permission of combining the prayers for rain has been mentioned as the opinion of some of the Imams including Al-Imam Ahmed and Al-Imam Malik. While Al-Imam Shafi rahimahullah, also mentioned the opinion that combining the prayers for rain is allowed also for the Dhuhr and Asr prayer. And the cause is the same. And you know that, though the occasion that it happened with the Prophet was the mother and Isha prayer, but Imam Shafi, his opinion was that if the same cause was present in the early time of the day for the Dhuhr and Asr prayer, the prayers may also be combined. Another cause for the combining of prayers in addition to traveling in rain is sickness. Sickness. And it has been reported, the Shaykh says, it has been reported in the Sahih of Muslim that the Prophet Now the Prophet combined the Dhu and Asr prayer and he also combined the Maghrib and Isha prayer with not due to fear, يعني, not due to fear of the enemy during a battle, nor due to uh, rain. And in one narration, من غير خوف ولا سفر That he combined them not due to fear يعني, of the enemy in the battle, nor due to traveling. And he was resident. He was resident and there was no fear of the enemy and he combined the prayers. Uh, and here the shaykh says that then what could be the reason then if it wasn't for fear of the enemy, nor rain, nor traveling, then what could be the reason except sickness? Yani, he is interpreting this hadith to mean that if a person is sick, even though they are not traveling, even though there is no fear of the enemy on the battlefield, nor is the, is the cause rain, but if the person is sick and there is difficulty, then they may also combine the prayers. When in reality some of the scholars said that this hadith is a general proof a general proof, not just for sickness, but whenever there is a need, when there is difficulty on the Muslim, real difficulty, and there is a need to combine the prayers, this hadith is an open permission, because it, it left it open, that the Prophet ﷺ combined these prayers, and, it, and he made it clear that it wasn't for any of the common reasons that, were, that he was known to combine the prayers, so it wasn't because of, they were on the battlefield, nor was it because he was a traveler, nor was it due to rain. So this, yeah, and some of the scholars understood, and Abdul ibn Abbas even said so, when he was asked and narrated one of these hadiths, he said that it was so that the Prophet ﷺ would not make a difficulty or hardship on his ummah. Yeah, and he wanted to relieve difficulty and hardship. So if anybody was in difficulty or hardship, and combining the prayers will relieve them from that, then it's allowed to do so. Although, as Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahimahullah, the great uh, scholar of the Tabi'een said, as long as they don't make a habit of it. And as long as they don't make a habit of always yeah, and saying I have a need to combine the Dhu and Asr, so every day they combine Dhu and Asr, every day they combine Mother and Isha, as long as they don't make a habit of it, then it's permissible to do it for need. This is the opinion of Muhammad ibn Sirin, 
that is permissible to join the prayers uh, even though they are not, there is no fear, no sickness but if there is a need for it, as long as the person doesn't make it a habit and a similar opinion was reported from Ibn Muzik rahimahullah in which he said that when the person is resident, I mean not a traveler and there is no fear and there is no sickness and there is no rain I mean the general causes for uh, combining the prayers are absent but if there is a need then the person may combine the prayers uh, amongst those who said that it was permissible there are many scholars who said that it was permissible to do so to combine the prayers if there is a need and from amongst them is Imam Malik and Imam Ahmed and Imam Ishaq ibn Rahuway and Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah may Allah have mercy on all of them uh, and even some of the Shafi'i scholars held this opinion although it was an opinion of Imam Shafi'i himself but some of the Shafi'i scholars hold this opinion and from amongst them is Al-Khattabi who, gave the, who made the famous explanation of the Sunan of Abu Dawood Al-Khattabi rahimahullah was a Shafi'i scholar and he held the opinion likewise that it's permissible to combine the prayers for need and this was also the opinion of Imam Nawi which he mentioned in his shot of Sahih Muslim and Imam Nawi rahimahullah was also a Shafi'i scholar and he also was in agreement with the Imams of the Maliki and Hanbali Madhabs uh, Then the Shaykh says finally concerning this point yani of the other reasons for combining the prayers that has also been established authentically the permission, the permissibility of combining the prayers for the mustahada yani for the woman who has uh, bleeding that's not from the normal bleeding from the menstrual cycle yani bleeding due to some sickness not due to the menstrual cycle the woman who is in that condition who has over extra bleeding uh, then that woman is allowed to pray in that condition and she is also allowed to combine the prayers she is also allowed to combine the prayers this is another cause or reason allowing the combining of prayers the second uh, extra point that the shaykh mentions here uh, is related to the distance the minim- minimum distance in which a person is allowed to combine the prayers what is the minimum distance? And the scholars uh, differ concerning this. There are many opinions. And Ibn Dakeq al mentions, I think, seven opinions or six opinions concerning this. In any case, to summarize it, which the Shaykh has done here, summarized it, he said that the distance uh, that one may travel in which they are allowed to combine the prayers. Uh, Two of the Imams, Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam Ahmed held that the distance that one travels uh, in two days of traveling which has been identified as 16 farsakh and the farsakh according to most of the scholars is 48 miles and according to the measurements of today it will be equivalent to 48 miles so they said that whoever traveled a distance of 48 miles then that person يعني, falls under the ruling of a traveler who is allowed to combine their prayers there are many other opinions uh, concerning this 
But the important opinion, which is the most common opinion, is that it's 48 miles. Uh, and also, the other opinion, which is really important, is the opinion of those who said that there is no specified limit by time or distance. And this is the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam who said that anything that is called traveling, and whenever a person is considered to be a traveler, whether the distance they travel is long or short, whenever someone considers what they are doing, the, the, the distance that they are traveling, that they are a traveler, no matter whether it's a long distance or a short distance, and that person is allowed to combine the prayers. And this distance is not determined by any period of time, nor by any distance in miles. Shri Muslim says that the text from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah do not make any distinction. In the ayats from Qur'an or Hadith, the Prophet they mention the prayer of the traveler, they make no distinction between the one who travels a long distance or a short distance. There is no distinction mentioned in the Qur'an nor in the Sunnah. So whoever makes a distinction uh, between the one who travels a short distance or the one who travels a long distance, then they have made a distinction between that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not made any distinction. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't make a distinction between the traveler who travels a long distance or the traveler who travels a short distance. As long as that person is considered in the customs of the people that they are a traveler and they consider themselves, they feel like I'm a traveler. No matter if the distance is long or short, the Qur'an and the Sunnah makes no distinction between them and therefore we shouldn't make any distinction between them. Uh, there's no basis for distinction between long and short journey. And also, this opinion is the opinion of Dawood, Imam Dawood al-Zahiri of the literalist Madhab. Uh, and it has also been mentioned by Ibn Qudama in his book of Fiqh al mughni Finally, Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, in his book Al-Huda, he says that whatever has been reported concerning the uh, limiting or determining of the distance that allows one to combine the prayers, whoever has, uh, whatever has been mentioned concerning that, that limitation is the one who travels a day or two days or three days or whatever limitations have been reported, none of these narrations or reports which limit or specify the distance, uh, none of them are authentic. And there is no authentic report from the Prophet saying that if a person travels a day or two days or three days, then in that case the person is allowed to combine the prayers. So in reality, the most correct opinion is the opinion that it's not limited by time or distance, but whenever someone goes to another town or village or city, and they feel that they are a traveler and that is considered in that society in that particular time to be a journey, then that person is considered a traveler and they are allowed to combine their prayers. And for example, if a person goes um, from uh, Doha to, uh, huh? What's the nearest place going outside? Uh, closer than Wakra. Yeah, I mean, is that considered a journey? Does a person feel like I'm a traveler? Or does it feel like they're just going yeah, to the next village or the next town? Yeah, I mean, if in the, in the customs of the people that was considered a journey, that distance, then he would be considered a, a traveler, no matter even if it's only, yeah, I mean, even if it only takes him a half a day to go there walking. Whereas the person who may go further than that, a longer distance, two or three times longer than that, but 
in the custom of the people it wouldn't be considered a journey. For example, if a person, for example, was in a race, in a camel race, and they went the distance from Doha to Um Sa'id or to Dukhan in a camel race, and they raced to Dukhan and back. Would that, would that person be considered a traveler? Would they say he just went on a journey? He wouldn't be considered a traveler. Even though that distance may be longer, but the person wouldn't be considered a traveler, therefore the, this ruling is not applicable to them. Whereas uh, another person who may travel a shorter distance, but really it would be considered that they are traveling. For example, they're traveling by foot, or they're traveling by some other slower means of transportation. It takes them a long time to get there, and they carry provisions for a journey. And that would be considered in the custom of the people of the journey, then the rules are applicable to them. And likewise, in other words, there's no time limit or distance that um, is specified in the Sharia. The next point that the Sheikh mentions, the third side point that he mentions, is that the majority of scholars held that uh, not combining the prayers is preferable to combining them. And in not combining the prayers, if there is no need for it, but praying them in their time is preferable to combining them, except in Arafat and Muzdalifah due to the general benefit of combining the prayers in Arafat and Muzdalifah and Arafat so that the person has a longer time to make supplication because the, important, the most important thing in Hajj is Wukuf Arafat standing in Arafat so there is a great benefit in combining those prayers so that there is no interruption you may supplicate until sunset and in Muzdalifah the benefit is that the Prophet when he went to Muzdalifah he prayed the Maghrib Isha prayers combining them and then he slept immediately until the break of dawn. At the beginning of dawn, the first early part of dawn, he prayed the Fajr prayer, and then he stood at Masjid of Haram, supplicating until just before sunrise. And the benefit in combining the prayers of Muzdalifah is that the person has a longer time to sleep. And they combine those prayers, and then they sleep, because the following day, the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, is the most important day of Hajj, and the most difficult things, the Ani standing at Masjid of Haram, and then going to Mina, stoning the Jamarat, sacrificing the animal, going to Mecca, making tawaf and sigh, all these things are done in one day and so it was from the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ that in that night of Muzdalifah that he slept early as soon as he arrived, he prayed, combining the Maghrib and Isha prayer and then he slept until the break of dawn uh, so they said that it is preferable to avoid combining the prayers if there is no need for it though it's permissible to combine them, but it's preferable to pray them in their time and one of the uh, proofs of this is that the original ruling is that prayers should be prayed in their time. And combining them is a convenience that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given uh, for the traveler or the sick person or rain or whatever. It is a convenience. But if there is no need for it, the original rule is that prayers are ordained and believe the six times. They should be prayed in their time. And if a person can pray in jama'ah with the imam and with the Muslims at the time when the prayer comes in, each of the prayers in their time, this is better than the person praying alone, combining the prayers uh, and praying alone. And then when the time for the next prayer comes, the one who is a traveler will be sitting while all the Muslims are praying. He will be sitting looking at the other people praying. So it's better to pray with the Muslims and to pray the prayers in their six times, except if there's a need for it, then it's a convenience that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given. Uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh mentions three or four points. One of them is the permissibility of combining the two prayers, Dhuhr and Asr, and combining the Madhra and Isha. Yani, the combination of Dhuhr and Asr and Madhra and Isha. The second one is that, uh, that the general meaning that we get from the hadith is that, uh, that, that there is the permissibility of combining the prayers either in the earlier time or in the later time.
And there are other hadith which show this, not only the hadith uh, that, the, that the author mentions here, hadith in Abbas, but also the extra hadith which we mentioned, the hadith of Mu'az ibn Jabal, which shows the permissibility of advancing or delaying the combining of the prayers. The fourth point, which I'm skipping the third one, the fourth point is uh, that this hadith and other hadith indicate that the permission for combining the prayers is exclusive to combining the Goa and Asa prayer together or combining the Mother and Isha prayer together. It's not for combining any other prayers. And there is no combining Fajr with any other prayer. Nor is there combining Asa with Maghrib. But the combining of prayers is exclusive for Goa and Asa and for Mother and Isha. And the only Goa can be combined with Asa and, and Maghrib with Isha. Advancing or delaying. There are a few other points. There's one point that the Shaykh mentions, point number three, which I skipped, and there's a couple of other quick points that were mentioned after the Adhan. We just take a few minutes after the Adhan, inshallah. I don't know if we have a Mu'azin today. Very nice. We'll wait till somebody calls the advance now, Master. Uh, one of the points, or the, the last point that the Sheikh mentioned, which um, I didn't read, is the matter concerning whether or not it's permissible to combine the prayers only while the person is in the course of traveling or even when they stop over somewhere as a traveler, but they stop somewhere. So that the apparent meaning of this hadith, the hadith of Abdul Abbas, that the Prophet is a Jabbi his sayyid, or either kana ala zahr sayyid, and that only when he was in actual in the course of traveling he used to combine the prayers. Uh, this is what the general understanding from the apparent meaning of that hadith. But there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars which we already mentioned, and one of the statements of Ibn Dakhik al Eid concerning this particular point, he said that this hadith uh, indicates that the combining of the prayers is for the one who is in the course of traveling. And if it wasn't for the fact that there, were, that there are other hadith which report the permissibility of combining the prayers even when the person is not in the course of traveling. If it wasn't for the fact that there are other hadith such as the hadith of the Prophet coming out of his tent and combining Zohar and Asr and then going back in his tent and coming back out and combining Madhra and Isha. If there, were another, if there were not hadith such as this we would understand from the hadith of Abdul Ibn Abbas that combining the prayers is only what we would understand is that it's only for the person who's in the course of traveling because this hadith suggests to us that the reason for the permissibility to combine the prayers is that the person is in the course of traveling and therefore whoever's not in the course of traveling they shouldn't be allowed to combine the prayers but since there are other evidences which show that even when the prophet stopped over at some place that he still on occasion combined the prayers then we say that other evidences make us to know that it's not limited. Combining the prayers is not limited only to the one who's in the course of traveling, but it allows for any traveler, even if they stop over somewhere, and especially if there's some benefit or need for them to combine the prayers. Otherwise, joining or uh, uh, performing the prayers in their time uh, is the opinion of the majority that it's preferable. Uh, some side points that didn't, uh, that, uh, that's not mentioned from Taysir al-Alam, but related to the issue that's important. Uh, some of the scholars have the opinion that it's not permissible 
to shorten prayers until a person actually leaves the city. And we'll discuss this in more detail uh, in the next lecture. Also, the issue of uh, the amount of time that a person stays in a place and if somebody intends to stay in a place where they stop over for three days or four days or five days or a week or a month then what is the ruling concerning this? Is it permissible for them to combine and shorten or combine or shorten their prayers even if they intended to stay in that place for four days or more as some of the scholars said or 15 days or more or 19 days or more and there are various opinions concerning this inshallah we'll discuss them in more detail and in the next lecture we'll talk about shortening the prayers in any case the most important thing now is that we should keep our discussion and separate to a certain extent that the issue of combining the prayers is one issue and the, condition, and the issue of shortening the prayers is, an, is, is another issue altogether so that there may be causes which allow a person to combine the prayers and there may be other causes which allow the person to shorten the prayers and they may not necessarily be يعني, the same causes or they may not be equal and there are some cases when a person may shorten the prayers but they may not combine and as a traveler you may continue shorten the prayers even when you stop over anywhere but not necessarily combine them you may pray them in their times and not combine them by shortening them so we should keep these two issues of combining and shortening separate subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadwan la ilaha illa anta astaghfirka wa tubulik if there are any comments or corrections or questions, inshallah, uh, just a few moments we're going to take now. You want to combine the prayers? Uh huh. How? And if somebody's traveling, for the mo- most of the time, <coughs> and if somebody's traveling in a non-Muslim country or in any place where they don't, uh, where, I mean, they won't stop the bus or they won't stop the car, they won't stop the plane uh, for you to pray, then uh, the general ruling concerning this is that the one who is compelled, the one who is forced, is excused. Yani you are excused for whatever you have no control over. Yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only holds you responsible for that which you have the ability to do. So if you're in a situation where the plane won't stop or the bus won't stop, then you are, you are excused from that. But in that case, and if, it, if there's really no way to combine the prayers either in the earlier time before you start the journey. If the time for Dhuha came in, for example, you can pray Dhuha and after. You have from the time of Dhuha until the end of the time of Isha, which according to the most correct opinion is at least to the middle of the night. Or even as some of the scholars said, up until the time of Fajr. So that means if you pray Dhuha at noon, then you have at least up until midnight or until Fajr to combine Maghrib and Isha in the time of Isha. So it's unlikely that somebody will be traveling from Dhuha until Fajr non-stop. It's unlikely. He would stop to eat, stop to go to the bathroom, stop for something. Even the driver has to take a rest. If a person was able to perform Dhuha and Asa at the beginning of their journey and then pray Maghrib and Isha at any time that they stopped, whether it was in the time of Maghrib, in the time of Isha, up until midnight, or if not possible, even after midnight. According to one opinion, that the time of Isha is up until Fajr. So even if they pray before Fajr, then it's okay. 
they let's take Qur'an, then they could even pray sitting. Yani, the person is, 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 we are required to pray standing as long as we are able. But if you are not able to stand, you may pray sitting. Yani, the Prophet saw someone who was asked about the prayer uh, by Imran ibn Hussein, radiallahu anhu, he said, pray standing. But if you are not able to pray sitting, if you are not able to pray lying on your side. So even the person who can't pray standing, you can pray sitting. Sitting in your seat, you can make salat. And this is, uh, and it's better to pray standing. But if you are not able and there's no stop, and the time for the prayer, the time for Fajr will come, and you didn't pray Maghrib and Isha, then pray sitting. Inshallah. Well, even an airplane, how many hours do you travel on a plane? Twelve hours. You can pray sitting, Inshallah. Now, and it was different of opinion. There's different opinion concerning this. And, and I don't know, I don't know really the, any clear text concerning it. But some of the scholars said that if a person, uh, the time for a prayer came while they were resident and they didn't pray it, and they traveled, and they traveled, do they pray the prayer as, for example, shortening the prayer? Do they pray it as four akah? Or since now they're traveling, can they pray it as two rakah? Some of the scholars said no. That the prayer came while you were not a traveler. Therefore it was obligatory on you, for example, to pray the asa prayer as four rakah. Now, you didn't pray it when you were at home, but you started to travel. Now you are traveling, you said, okay, I'll pray my asa now as two rakah because I'm a traveler. Some of the scholars said it's permissible to do so, and some said no. That the prayer came in while you were resident, and it was obligatory to pray four rakah, you have to pray four rakah. And likewise, if a person was on a journey at the time of Asr, the time for Asr came and they didn't pray Asr. They delayed it until they reached home. Now they're home. If they would have prayed it while they were on the road, it's clear that you prayed at two rakah. But now they got home, they're no longer a traveler. Do they pray it as a traveler or as a resident? Some of the scholars said that now that you are home, you're no longer a traveler. <laughs> so you have to pray it as four rakah. And the other said, no. Like you said in the beginning, that the prayer, when it came in, it came in on you as a traveler. And you had the permission to pray it as two rakah. So they said you can pray it as two rakah. And Allah knows best, but perhaps the, the most safest opinion is that if a person took advantage of that permission and prayed it while they were traveling, then it's clear that they can pray it as two rakah. But once they reach their home and they're no longer a traveler, it's not so clear that it's still permissible to pray it as a traveler, as two rakah, and it's safer to pray it as four rakah, and Allah knows best. The combining is only while you're a traveler, but if it happened that the person, uh, for example, didn't pray Maghrib when it came in, and when they reached home, it was 11 o'clock at night, Isha is in, then they will combine them automatically. I mean, you have no option in the matter at that point. But it's always better to try to pray the prayers, and if you stop and pray the prayers, if it's yani, no difficulty on you to pray them in the earlier time, because you never know what's going to happen after that. Then maybe in the later time, you may be more occupied, or it may become more difficult. If the person is able, it's always better to do things, good things, to do them without delay. Yani every time you have an idea to give charity, don't say, I'll give it tomorrow. Give it now. Maybe tomorrow you may have some bills coming, you won't be able to give the charity. You, have, you want to fast? I'll fast uh, next week. Or maybe next week you'll be sick and you won't be able to fast. If, uh, if you have an obligation on you, it's better to do it now than to delay it. Because when you delay it, you don't know what may happen. 
then that obligation you will be responsible in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for it. Even though something happened to you afterwards, which yani, made you incapable to fulfill it, but at the time when the obligation came on you, you were capable and you didn't do it. Now you became incapable. So it's a responsibility. It's better to fulfill our responsibilities yani, as quickly as possible without delay. If you are flying, the Qibla of the traveler is what? Whichever way the animal is facing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Prophet he used to pray voluntary prayers on his riding animal. And the Qibla for the person who is on a riding animal is the direction that the animal faces. Although some of the narrations indicate that he would face his animal towards the Qibla to begin the prayer. And then he would continue his journey in whichever direction the animal went and he would pray in that direction. But if he prayed obligatory prayer, he would get off the animal and pray normally, the normal prayer. But whoever prays on an airplane, obligatory prayer, they are praying it because they are forced to, they are compelled to. Then in that case, the Qibla is the direction that you are facing. And if you cannot face the Qibla, then, uh, then the ruling is you do as much as you can to the best of your ability. Yani according to your ability, you do the best you can. Pray standing, if you cannot pray sitting, best you can. You cannot pray laying on your side. Face the Qibla if you can. If you cannot, face whatever direction you are facing. The important thing that prayers should never be abandoned. If we are traveling, we are sick, airplane, whatever, the prayer is upon us. We have to pray it according to the best of our ability. Even the person who can't clean themselves due to some incapability, even in that case they may pray. Even unclean, even their clothes unclean, their place unclean, they're not in a state of wudu. If they cannot make wudu, there's no water, there's no... Then they will still pray. They will still pray. Because prayer is obligatory on us. And we have to pray it no matter what our condition. Whoever cannot uh, pray standing, then they will pray sitting. Whoever cannot clean their clothing, for whatever reason, maybe there's nothing to clean it with and they have no other clothing. Then st- rather than to pray naked, they will pray with what they have. And so on. Yeah. Yeah, in any case, the hadith of Anas ibn Malik which we didn't mention today, there are a lot of hadith concerning this which we didn't mention for lack of time, indicates, and that hadith is reported by Bukhari and Muslim, indicates that the Prophet when he used to travel and the time for the Doha came, the time for the Doha came. This is contrary to the hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal that he would pray Doha alone and then he would travel and pray Asr in its time. Perhaps the meaning or the, the difference between these two hadith is that Mu'adh ibn Jabal was talking about Ghazwat uh, al-Tabuk, the battle of Tabuk. Perhaps his hadith is applicable to the action of the Prophet while he was traveling and he stopped anywhere. When he would start his journey again, if the time for Doha came, he would combine Doha and Asr. If the time for Maghrib was already in, he would combine Maghrib and Isha. But he was already outside of the city of Medina. He was on the journey already. Whereas the hadith of Anas, perhaps it is applicable to the case of the person who didn't start their journey yet. Yani to the beginning of the journey. 
if the time for Maghrib didn't come in, then he would go and travel, he would start his journey, leave the city, and then pray Maghrib Isha in the later time. And the same with Dhuhr. He would go and leave the city. If it hadn't come yet, he would go and leave the city and stop anywhere in the time of Asr and pray, go and Asr together. But if, before he left the city, the time for Dhuhr came in, then he would pray Dhuhr alone, and then he would travel, and pray Asr in his time. Or he would pray Maghrib alone, and then he would travel, and then pray the Isha in its time. So perhaps these two hadith, which appear to be yani, some conflict between them, perhaps, and Allah knows best, is that one of them is applicable to the beginning of the journey before you leave your city, and the other is applicable to the person who is already on the journey but stopped over somewhere. Oh.